February 1991, I was 20 years old, driving a Humvee through the Saudi desert, crossing the border into Iraq, just west of Kuwait. I was an electronic warfare specialist and army linguist assigned to the 1st Brigade Combat Team of the 1st Armored Division. As we rolled through the lanes and the defensive berms, blown open by our assault engineers, we passed over the buried trenches once occupied by Iraqi conscripts and still occupied by many who weren't able to surrender in time. The next few days were a blur of burning tanks and trucks, destroyed bunkers, and the near constant concussion of outbound artillery and rockets firing over our heads. We slaughtered many thousands of people in order to liberate the oil fields for the ruling family of Kuwait and protect those of the Saudi king all to defend our freedom to mindlessly and endlessly consume cheap fuel and destroy the planet in the process. After the Iraqis' formal surrender, we spent weeks living in the slimy smoke of burning oil wells and were exposed to nerve agent from a cloud released when Army engineers destroyed a supply dump at a place called Kamasaya. A quarter million troops and countless number of civilians were exposed to sarin gas per a DOD report released only after 10 years of denial. Numerous people I worked with have serious lasting health effects. That's the story of how I became an activist protesting the second invasion in 2002 and a passionate proponent of clean renewable energy that doesn't fund autocracies, who repress freedom, deny the rights of women, and fund international terrorism. But it's not the story of the trauma that defined the last 25 years of my life and prevented me from grieving for my best friend from basic training, Richard Flick. And believe me, we teased him mercilessly about that name. Can you imagine Dick Flick? And he just laughed right along with us. Richard was an 18-year Army veteran who died in 2006, not long after he returned from a tour in Iraq. His death was reported as an accident but I was told he got drunk and intentionally crashed his car. I don't know if he was counted among the estimated 131,000 veterans who have taken their own lives since 2001. We've all heard these numbers before, and frankly, like many of the massively scaled tragedies we hear about, this is just one more bit of information piled onto our already overloaded souls. I don't have the wisdom to help us know how to process any of it, so I'm just going to leave those numbers to stand on their own. 131,000 suicides in 20 years, with about 17 more each day. A few weeks ago, I was getting ready to take a shower, and my eye caught the US Army tattoo I have here on my left shoulder. I had wanted something unique, so I asked my friend Richard to sketch me something. And frankly, it's not very good art. I wasn't a good artist. Richard's talents were more in his fun-loving personality, his undeniable charm and wit, but like anything I could have asked for him, he gladly said yes. I've seen that tattoo every day of my life since age 18, but this time I started crying. Finally, my heart had been cracked open enough to let me honor my friend 15 years after his passing. I want to share my journey of how I spent the, the last few decades deflecting thanks for my service that are common this time of year, and being a person whose walls were so thick he couldn't mourn his friend to where I am now, which is a much better place.
Before I begin, I want to warn you that I'll be talking about things that may be difficult to hear, like Reverend Carl said. If you're sensitive to hearing about violence in its worst forms and need to leave, please do. I get it. I've been avoiding these things for a long time myself. Thank you. I was a special agent in the Army's Criminal Investigation Division for the final four years of my service. And my job was to handle all the horrible things. The children abused by their parents, women assaulted by abusive husbands, far too many rapes and sexual assaults, and the deaths, so many deaths. Soldiers killed in training or traffic accidents, a teenager killed by a truck while riding his bike, an Air Force pilot who crashed during a training mission, babies who died of natural causes, and one who was shaken by her mother, a soldier who hung himself from a tree. This was my first body. I can picture him in a peaceful area of the woods near our base in Germany. I can picture all of them, if I'm being honest. I investigated their lives, the circumstances of their deaths, witnessed their autopsies. It's hard to explain how strange an autopsy is. It's at, both one, it's at, it's at once both highly intimate and coldly scientific. One of my jobs was often to take a final set of fingerprints from the deceased. One night in April 1995, something worse than all that. The night ended my young career and left me sleepless, anxious, depressed, angry, unfeeling. My heart didn't break, it went dark. A lot of people I love have suffered because of that night and from a decision I made earlier in the day. I was a duty agent on the 14th of April when I was told by a receptionist that a soldier was there to report his wife having an affair with another soldier. This is a crime in the military, but didn't rise above the line to be my responsibility. So I told the receptionist to send the soldier to the MP's office, the military police. He didn't go there. Instead, he did a few other things, and later that night, he went to his home, and he shot his two children in their beds, and his wife in the hallway, and then himself. It's the guilt and shame I've carried ever since that's prevented me from having pride in my service, and frankly, that's the least of what it did to me. I had fully convinced myself that if I had just gotten up off my ass and talked to that man and recognized the state he was in and found a way to interrupt that chain of events, but I was too prideful to be bothered by him. I was too busy. I was too important for that man's problems. That's the story I've been telling myself ever since. And look, you don't survive a job like that if the 18 inches between your head and your heart are connected. You don't keep a job like that if you talk about your feelings or seek professional help. So when I started having panic attacks and intrusive memories in the months following that incident, I did the only thing I could think of. I went to a chaplain. I was told to pray more. Needless to say, that wasn't the help I was looking for. Within two years, I had given up a promotion, all my training, my undergraduate degree in criminal justice I had worked so hard for in night school. And I left the Army thinking, if I just did something normal with my life, I could put this behind me. I think you can all guess how that turned out. The next two plus decades, I spent the next two plus decades fighting down anger, not always successfully lacking confidence and pride, questioning everything, self-medicating, 
and worst of all, emotionally detached and unavailable to myself or my family. I have a lot of damage to repair. In 2019, thanks, to mostly, thanks mostly to things I learned in this building, I decided at last to try and fix myself. I started to meditate to help calm my mind. I picked up yoga to help heal a hip fracture suffered in an accident in 2017 that took away whatever joy and solace I found in biking and tennis. I surrounded myself with loving, kind, wonderful people who I recruited without their knowing to help prop me up. And then just as I was making a bit of progress and starting to see that I might not be permanently broken, 2020 hit. And it hit all of us, of course, but our family had some additional challenges on top of all that. I kept it together as best I could, but by the beginning of this year, I was exhausted. I was soon taking meds for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, anxiety, sleep, depression. I was out of shape and overweight, had no energy or motivation to do anything. Around that time, an old friend I had worked with a bit in Phoenix messaged me. She'd recently taken a job working for a nonprofit with a program targeted towards veterans with PTSD and traumatic brain injury. I didn't have a TBI, so her program wasn't a fit, but she pointed me to the Gary Sinise Foundation. And through that, I found Bouldercrest in nearby Bluemont, Virginia. They have a program called Warrior Path for combat veterans and first responders who aren't struggling well. At that point, I had a formal diagnosis and disability rating from the VA and tried some of their treatments. I didn't really think this nonprofit program would help and figured it was too late for me anyway. With a what the hell, why not attitude, I reached out via an online form and within days I was on the phone with a combat vet who had gone through the program and he convinced me to give it a try. The program is based on post-traumatic growth theory by two UNC Charlotte, UNC Charlotte psychologists, it's hard to say, Dr. Richard Tedeschi and Dr. Lawrence Calhoun. The founder of Bouldercrest, a Navy explosive ordnance tech who made a ton of money after leaving the military, worked with other specialists to turn this academic work into a viable and scalable training program. And part of Warrior Class 117. Over 6,000 women and men have gone through the training and they've had incredible results. One of my many hesitations about trying this program was its frequent reuse of words like warrior and hero. I certainly didn't consider myself any kind of hero. I'm not the kind of veteran who wears their service on their sleeve or on a hat or bumper stickers, flags, and pins. I've not fired a weapon since leaving the Army in 1997. One of the many lessons they teach is how to change the angle. If something isn't working or is too difficult, find another way to look at it, another approach. It seems simple, but too often we seem to follow old habits and insist on making things harder than they need to be, or only take the most common meaning of words. This is how Bouldercrest defines warrior. While many people associate warriors with what, it takes, what takes place in combat, we know that being a warrior means something different. To us, a warrior is a person who protects rather than harms, insists on serving a cause greater, their own, greater than their own and is never a victim of circumstance or a product of their environment. See what they did there? They changed the angle. Instead of being a program about helping me be happier, it's now about helping me unlock my potential to help my community. That's a person I can aspire to be. 
It's an 18-month program, and I've completed the seven-day on-site portion, whereas on a small team of people learning different wellness practices, like daily meditation, breathing techniques, journaling, and daily gratitude, things that'll sound familiar to people in this room. But the real magic was being part of that team and learning from those other heroes. I helped myself by helping them. For example, during a sharing exercise, my new brother, a former Marine, told us how he applied pressure to a wounded buddy, while also calling for, calling for help on the radio and firing his weapon during an ambush in Afghanistan. That wounded Marine didn't survive, and my friend has carried that guilt and shame ever since. But when I told him he did everything he was trained to do and the outcome was never in his hands, I thought about what kind of hypocrite I would be if I didn't accept that same advice and comfort from my own guilt. I let go of a lot that day thanks to his sharing. I thought I had learned to survive at a reasonable level and age 50, I was good enough. And really, did I deserve more? Then I met, met Hal Pines, a retired chief firefighter who after 26 years dealing with all kinds of horrible situations on that job, finally had a moment of clarity and release related to his time in the Marines as a tank gunner during the invasion of Grenada in 1983. I watched Hal bravely share his pain and lift his burden from what he was asked to do so long ago. At 64, he's finally ready to face life as a new, better man. If he could do it, so could I. My moment finally came while walking a labyrinth. We were told to select a rock from a pile and leave the rock at the center as a symbol of letting go. I wasn't resistant to the exercise, I just certainly didn't expect anything from it. We had lined up and entered the labyrinth after talking individually with Dusty, the executive director of the program. That way we were spaced apart as we wound our way towards the center, but we were constantly were passing near each other. We were on our own path, but we were never alone. Before I went in, Dusty looked in my eyes and he said my mind had always taken care of me, but I had to start trusting my heart. I nodded, reached down, picked up a medium-sized stone, and slowly started walking with no plan or preconceived notion of what would happen. I soon found myself examining this rock very closely, and I wasn't sure why. It was about 12 inches long and maybe four inches around, had one sharp edge, some neat colors, weighed about five to eight pounds, solid but not heavy. I turned it over in my hands as I walked. I rubbed it, looked at it, felt it. I needed to understand this rock. And then I saw the face of the little girl with a small bullet hole under her left eye who was killed that night in 1995. And I understood. I needed to say goodbye. As I continued walking, I pulled each member of the family into my head, one after the other, and I cried. I cried so hard, I could barely walk. I couldn't really see. I definitely struggled to stay in those lines. I kept on, occasionally passing my teammates, drawing from their strength. When I finally got to the center of that labyrinth, I fell on my knees and placed that rock on the ground, put my forehead to it. And when I stood up, I was embraced by my new brothers. I finally said goodbye in a way that felt significant, respectful, honorable. I have not been the same person since. My heart feels open. I feel physically lighter, more present and engaged. 
not on edge looking for something to go wrong and overreacting when it does. But I'm not fixed. I'll never be fixed. I'll never stop seeing those faces. I'll never believe I shouldn't have acted differently that day in 1995. But I've forgiven myself and come to understand finally that one small decision when I was 25 years old doesn't need to drag me down forever. It's part of my story that can't be changed, erased, or forgotten, but it doesn't have to define who I am. The guilt and shame and pain I've lived with has made me a different person, but maybe even a better person and a stronger person. I'll never stop struggling with this part of myself, but I'm learning to struggle well. And now when I can't sleep or get angry for no good reason, I know exactly what's going on and I have practices to lean on. I can use breathing techniques for immediate relief. My daily meditation practice helps me process and backwash the gunk from my head, keeps me fairly level. My fitness routines keep me feeling energized and strong. And I have a group of teammates who will answer the phone anytime I need to talk. They understand me and can help me just as I can help them when they call. I very much understand that I need to spend my life on a path of curiosity and learning. I need to treat my body with care and love so I can be a better partner to my wife and father to my kids. I need to feed my spirit by being a positive influence on our community and finding ways to give back. I now also have three clear principles to guide my life. Acceptance for myself and others, determination to stay on this path of wellness and learning, and empathy to remind myself never to let my heart go dark again. If you'll forgive me for boasting, my cholesterol and blood pressure are back to normal. I'm sleeping seven to eight hours almost every night instead of 46 if medicated. I've lost 30 pounds. I'm running, hiking, backpacking, biking, even played a little bit of tennis this summer without hip pain. And I still do yoga at least once a week. And I'm standing here today sharing my story, which would have been unimaginable just a few months ago. I don't always agree with how our country has used its power, and I definitely have issues with the adverse impacts of bloated defense spending, but I'm proud of my service. I'm proud of the work I did trying to help people. I'm proud of my intentions as a 17-year-old when I first took that oath. And I'm incredibly honored to have a piece of Richard Flick with me forever. So this Veterans Day, for the first time since I earned that title 24 years ago, if you thank me for my service, I'll look you in the eye and accept that gratitude. But my term of service isn't complete. I'm honored now to turn things over to Lisa and Bill Bromfield, who are going to share a song our group wrote together with the help of a Nashville musician during our onsite at Boulder Crest. I'm not the most musical person myself, and when I heard about this, this activity, I thought, well, that's cute, writing a song, okay. The collaborative process turned out to be an incredible experience. When I hear this song, I can picture the faces of all my friends in the different lines. I find this, ver this final version to be very powerful. I hope you get something from it as well. And of course, I can't thank Bill and Lisa enough for being wonderful friends and using their incredible talents to help me share this with you. Thank you.
I know I speak for more than just myself when I thank Seth for sharing his story. I've been carrying a lot of shame I've been carrying a lot of pain I've come a long, long way To be the new man I am today I spent a whole lot of sleepless nights Crying and trying to see the light I've heard a whole lot of people And I'm just trying to make it right Shadows of the past I shine a light on you Helps my head and heart So I can honor you Shadows of the past You have molded me From the king I was To who I want to be Shadows of the past Shadows of the past You're gonna make me a better man I'm dumping out these boots of sand I'm dropping all that weight So I can hold my baby's hand But this journey has just begun I'm finding I'm not the only one This path is changing me And together we will overcome Shadows of the past I shine a light on you it helps my head and heart So I can honor you Shadows of the past You have molded me From the king I was To who I want to be Shadows of the past Shadows of the past I got a whole lot on my plate But sorrow's not my fate Shadows of the past I shine a light on you It helps my head and heart So I can honor you Shadows of the past You have molded me From the king I was To who I want to be Shadows of the past Shadows of the past Shadows of the past Shadows of the past
Today we held some powerful